Episode 1, Carbs, Comfort, and Grandmothers. What is it about food that helps us access feelings and memories? Can wisdom, culture, and generational memory be passed on through recipe? In this episode of Mouth Level, I'm revisiting Rudy Aker and Cynthia arias Aus talk that took place on August 19th at South House Sexual Health and Gender Resource Center in Halifax. This talk was titled Exploring Culture, Tradition, and Home Through Ritual. The artists talked to us about their comfort foods, their experiences feeling othered, their ritual-based practices, and their connections with their families. Participants were encouraged to bring their own comfort foods, and some of these included papayas, Ontario peaches, mulberry cookies, guava juice, mashed potatoes, and freshly baked bread. This episode is compiled as a series of notes, sound bites, and pivotal moments in the artist's stories. Trigger warning, this episode contains mention of death and terminal illness. First, Rudy will be making La Gallet, a type of fry bread made of butter, baking soda, flour, and water. They recall their grandfather making this bread when they were a child, and now they make La Gallet when they want to feel a sense of home away from home. Rudy is a Wolostokwia queer femme from Sedansis First Nation in Fredericton, New Brunswick. Their practice explores language, accessibility, and contemporary art, and how it can bring marginalized folks together. They work mostly in painting, traditional craft, and installation. talks a lot about sustenance and you know living off of very little or living off of what you have with food there is a reciprocal relationship whether you're making food for somebody uh, whether you're eating food you're in some way nourishing or being nourished and it's a, a reciprocity of comfort and care by being cared for or caring for somebody. And I think that's that's a really nice way to think about food and to also think about art practices. I don't know how anybody could like sustain an art practice without talking to people. Rudy tells a story about a moment in which food was a form of comfort and care. Here they describe a time when they went to pick fiddleheads with their cousin. The first time my cousin and I went to pick fiddleheads together. We didn't plan to go fiddleheading. We just took whatever we had in the car. I think we have a small basket, no knife. We're wearing like flip flops. We're like, let's go. <laughs> so we go and we get like a bunch and we're so excited. And we drive home and we like surprise my grandfather. Look what we did. And we just like start throwing fiddleheads everywhere. Please, like we always eat fiddleheads with Lagala. That was care for everyone involved. And so this bread is like one of the tangible things that like takes me home and like brings me comfort and joy. I chose to make this food today because there's a a real sacredness to breaking bread together and sharing what you have with others as a form of kinship. The process of making this and the process of eating it is so ritual based and that's how, how my practice functions. I think a lot of my practice is based on emotionality. I've used my work and my practice as a navigational tool 
to sort of work through trauma and work through mental health and cultural differences between me and the people that I was around. Rudy's paintings are quite colorful and large. They command attention. Neon colors like pink, turquoise, and yellow are accompanied by text that says, I'm doing a good job, or I didn't mean it, or I won't say a word. I don't typically plan paintings. I'm very inspired by surroundings and, and color textures are really important. And then after that, I like to make spaces and I like to think of my paintings as these small little environments. I use a lot of like dotted lines and things that look like maps and creating little microcosms of things that are happening. I use a lot of text based on like somebody said something to you and you've never forgotten it. Person saying this to you caused like a micro revolution in your head that you'll never forget. Community has, in a lot of ways, really, really supported me and really helped me get to where I am. The community has also disappointed me in a lot of ways. In my experience, I've felt really isolated and really alone and really like not supported in communities that I was a part of. With people who are otherwise kind of ignorant about the work that I was trying to make as an indigenous person, I think that's another reason why I've been like exploring language a lot is because I don't know my language and that comes down to like a lot of trauma over the past year especially. It's been something that I've been trying to be super conscious of. There's less than 15 fluent speakers in my community and my grandfather is one of them. He has so much to offer to me and so many other people. Rudy started to cry when thinking about their grandparents and just how much they mean to them. I spent most of my teenage years living with my grandparents. Um, yeah, just like super central in like making me who I am, helping me to realize who I am and what I am and what that entails. I didn't think I'd cry. <laughs> Rudy made La Galad for everyone to share, so we each got to break and share a small piece of bread. In this clip, they're blessing the bread before we all got to taste it. You're never supposed to cut it with a knife uh, because that insinuates there's like a tool between you and what you're using. If you break it with your hands, you're supposed to bless it before you eat it. My nan always said if I didn't bless it before I eat it, I would uh, grow warts on my nose. <laughs> <laughs> And you just like thank Creator for allowing yourself to be able to make this and, and thanks for everything. Up next, Cynthia talks to us about her upbringing in Ecuador. She talks to us about her family, her grandmother who was a witch, and the difficulty in her journey since moving to Canada. She talks to us as she fries plantains to make patacones. Cynthia Arias Aus is an Ecuadorian artist living and working in Halifax. She uses both her father's last name and her mother's last name as a way of honoring both of them. Her most recent work has been exploring Latin American history and politics and she's currently writing about how the sense of the South American self has been influenced by colonialism and globalization.
My mom had me when she was 20 years old, so it wasn't extremely fun pregnancy. So my parents got married in secret. My mom was like 20, my dad was 21. I was a baby and I grew up with my grandmother. And my grandmother, she was an interesting lady. She, she thought she was a witch. In our house, there were like these lines of salt on the doors. If you will dare to step on that thing, prepare to be slapped. <laughs> One time I went back to the house after school and my grandmother was in her living room with like, I'm gonna assume it was like a shaman of some sort. And this man was just ripping this chicken's neck off and it was making it bleed on the living room. <laughs> she was like, yeah, you know, we need to cleanse the house. I always had a hard time relating to other people because I had a hard time relating to my parents and my grandmother that actually take care of me. She was so, emotionally closed up. My grandfather would cheat on her constantly. And every time he would do something, she would say someone put a spell on him. There's probably like a photograph of him buried somewhere in the garden. He would be so bad that he would ask her to pick his clothing and she would like make the worst color combinations like browns and purples and like yellows and just the most outrageous outfits. He never asked again. I remember one time, she actually planned to kill my grandfather. She bought a gun. She bought a gun and she was like, I'm doing it, I'm killing him, I hate him. And it was like this dramatic thing. My dad was in the middle, like she was holding a gun. She was like, I'm gonna kill you, I hate you, all this. And we talk about it and we joke about it. Like it's so normal, it's so weird and surreal. And it's like, it's like, oh my God, it's like someone dropped dead during supper and you're like, okay. I guess this is like life, this is what happens. It's like, it's our normal. And you just live with it. So my grandfather would get home drunk and he would like go to, go to bed and he would take off his like jacket and he would like put it in the chair. And she would make me like sneak on the room, like just like this on the floor. She was like, just sneak. Put the hand in the pocket and take as, take as much as you can. And she would give me like a tiny bit and she would like, <laughs> just keep the rest. Didn't matter how much she hated him, he loved her. When my grandmother died, she made us promise to bury them in separate cemeteries or she would come back and haunt us. She was so closed up, she would never talk about feelings. She went like, through so much in her life. One of her sisters suffered from like schizophrenia and she was swept up in a mental hospital and died. I remember being a kid and going to a mental hospital and she would let me leave me in the hallway. And, and basically, um, there would be like people just walking around, but I didn't understand why they were all like waiting like bathrooms. And when finally her sister died, like, I was like maybe 14 when that happened. That's when you're like, oh yeah, like your aunt, that's like a psychiatric facility of some sort. And I was like, what? For people that are immigrants, coming to Canada is not easy. Me being here is a privilege. Like not everyone can do this and be here and like find a way to afford moving here. I moved here four years ago, and I I cried for a week straight when I moved here. Uh, I called my dad weeping every day. Okay, we bonded over that. <laughs> but I've never felt other 
in my country. I've never referred to myself as Hispanic, as Latino, as the idea of being so aware of your identity was never a thing. Like you just, you are who you are and you exist here and that's fine and well, that's it. And then I moved here and I was like, hell, this other person. And I, like for the first time, I thought of myself as a person of color. And like, like, oh, this is who I am. This is where I exist in the world, I guess. Or this is how other people think about my, me or like other people like me. There's something so bizarre about like growing up in South America. It's like, I feel like it's a little surreal. Reality could be that cool. Like in the 80s, we used to have this thing called the death squads. Uh, it was like managed by the government and it was like police that will, if you have some sort of criminal record, they'll pick you up on the street and you will disappear. And then you will be found in the river or you will be found on the street. And that was it. And no one did anything about it. It was completely government controlled. It becomes like part of who you are, part of your identity, part of, you become so used to it. So I went to Catholic school because all my cousins went to Catholic school. It was all like built on shame and guilt. And it's so hard when you become an adult and kind of like shake that off. But now I have like such a more like cultural or historical uh, appreciation for it. Like now I can like detach myself enough without like feeling guilt into it or being forced into it. You look like churches, churches are beautiful. There's Catholic rituals and you are like just surrounded by them. My mom took, took me to church. And we're outside this church. And she was like, I have to tell you something. And part of me is like, I was like, okay. And she like, we're outside this church and she literally told me I got cancer. And for me, in my like 13 year old brain, I'm like, she's dead. And I just like started waving. And like, I was in public. I was like losing it. And then we went into mass. And I cried the entire thing. Like I just sat there with my, my head in my mom's lap and I was just crying. Because like, is it? What am I gonna do? We were there together and we suffered together and we felt it. And it was so real. Art can actually be a tool to mobilize. Sometimes I lose sight of it. Every time I feel like that, I remember the night my grandmother died. I was home. And I was going to the bathroom and she was like sitting on her bed and she was so tiny. She had like uh, heart disease and she was like sitting in the corner of her bed and I just like swam by and I looked at her and I was like, are you okay? She was like, oh, the next day she died. Like the next day she passed away. She uh, had complications with her disease. And the last thing she said, it was literally, I'm dying. And then she passed away and it was like, Every time I feel like the despair of everything, of like, of like, I don't know what's happening. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know why I'm here. I just think of her and I think of that night and a little bit of like how scared she was. She was terrified. Like I could see how terrified she was. And then, and then it was over. And now I'm the one that's gonna crack. Like they took off uh, the salt lines from the doors. They sold her dogs. They got rid of all of her clothing. My dad kept all the photographs. So those are mine. This is like one of my sad foods. This takes too much effort, so I'm like, I need to be committed to like crying after this. <laughs> <laughs>
Basically, they're plantains. They're they're super cheap in Ecuador. They're used in so many dishes. And every time I go visit my parents, my mom make me, make me plantains, and she make me plantain cake, which I love. You use the sweet ones, and it's like this cake that is like super sweet, and there's cheese in it. I don't know. It reminds me of the effort that at least my mother and my grandmother put into cooking. This talk to me was a clear example of how Food for Thoughts can bring people together. It can make us vulnerable and open up deep memories. As an audience, we shared a lot of laughs. These artists were incredibly charming and comedic in their storytelling, but they also compelled us by telling us some difficult stories. Rudy's talk resonated with me in the way that being a minority member in an arts institution can often feel like you're making work in a vacuum. It can also make you feel alone and misunderstood. Cynthia's talk awakened memories of my childhood growing up in Venezuela and how surreal it is to live amongst normalized violence. It also gave me hope in art making as a way to bring people together. All music used for this episode is from bensound.com. I would like to give a special thanks to David Clark and Julia McMillan for helping me with this project. You've been listening to Mouth Level, Eye Level's Food for Thoughts podcast. I'm your host and editor, Camila Salcedo. Thanks so much for listening.